The Founding Fathers, American Revolution, Our Constitution, Our History, America. Thanks so much for tuning in as we discuss the people, places, events, and battles that turned 13 separate colonies into the greatest nation on earth, the United States. Welcome and thanks so much for tuning in to this bonus episode where we are going to talk about the Sons of Liberty and some members that you may or may not know who are part of this organization. It's a couple days before the 4th of July, so I thought it would be a great time to have this bonus episode. You may have heard about the Sons of Liberty, uh, may have seen it on a t-shirt, uh, uh, maybe your level of knowledge is really, really good, and maybe it's not so much. And so I wanted to share what this group did, who was involved, and how it, how it helped. So I think John Hancock and Samuel Adams could be considered the founders of the Founding Fathers. There was a group called the Sons of Liberty in 1765, and I, I think many believe that this was one single group in one state or one colony that men belonged to, but that's not necessarily 100% accurate. The Sons of Liberty was a, a very secretive group that existed in all 13 colonies, this organization was formed in 1765. They're probably most widely known for the Boston Tea Party, which uh, is where they boarded some ships and dumped 92,000 pounds of tea into the harbor. And although this is the most widely known uh, event that they were uh, responsible for, they were actually involved in many events and decisions and actions that really helped shape our country and what what our country eventually became. They set the stage or tone for many people and did things that most people were thinking about doing, but didn't. And I think that's important because in the state of where our country is, I think there's a lot of people out there that may not like how things are going. I think there's millions of people likely that don't like how things are going, but this particular group did something about it, um, right? They didn't get on social media and post things uh, like like we do now. Um, they actually formed the secretive group and they made changes. And it's very impressive uh, what they did. They had a mission and that mission was simple. They aimed for more freedom and liberties for the colonists and thankfully for us, the future Americans. That was their main mission. And by the time the revolution began, the Sons of Liberty were fairly well organized with groups that actually were in many different colonies, and but they were communicating back and forth. Uh, they were planning protests. They were scheduling events. And um, so it wasn't just a you know ragtag bunch of guys that were upset at England. This was a pretty intelligent group, and they were willing to do things to uh, make a difference. Uh, they took their name, the Sons of Liberty, uh, they took the name from a speech given uh, in British Parliament by Isaac Barre. Uh, that took place in February of 1765. And in that speech, 
Uh, he referred to the colonials who had just opposed unjust British measures as the Sons of Liberty. So um, that's where that name came from, if you were wondering. The Sons of Liberty started before the actual fighting commenced, before the actual War of Independence started. Uh, their most widely thing, as I just said, was the Boston Tea Party. But the Stamp Act is what really uh, propelled them into a very well-known group, uh, kind of bringing them out uh, behind the veil of a secret group. Um, after the Stamp Act, uh, everybody knew who they were, what they were up to. So they, prior to that, they were very secretive. And they were the very first group to organize and use threats and violence when needed to get their point across. They would tar and feather British officers. They would persuade tax collectors of the Stamp Act to resign. They would damage buildings that were known to be a frequent hangout to uh, British officers and loyalists at the time. After many of these type of actions and events, the Sons of Liberty actually became feared by England, and, and more specifically, the King uh, of England, King George III, and their military. So, <clears throat> excuse me, you have these small group um, of men uh, willing to do whatever it takes to preserve freedoms and liberties and to stop being endlessly taxed and, and oppressed. And, and to the point where the king and the military and England as a whole actually were, were fearful of what the Sons of Liberty was up to. I don't necessarily think it was all because of the violence that they were willing to show. Um, I think it was because they were very steadfast in their beliefs and because of their actions, some of which were violent, not all, but because of those actions, it persuaded the colonial mindset in the people, which was very scary uh, if you are King George, right? Um, the Sons of Liberty really started to uh, help pull people together that may not have ever had that opportunity had the Sons of Liberty not been around. Now, I could go into great detail about all of the original members of the Sons of Liberty, but I think that would probably end up being a, a, an entire separate episode in itself. But I will delve into a couple of them so that you get a good feel or a gauge uh, of the character of the Sons of Liberty members that that really sums up uh, the, the organization as a whole. One of the most uh, prominent members, uh, which I'm sure you've heard of, is John Hancock. John Hancock was one of the most wealthy people in Massachusetts. In fact, uh, he was one of the richest people in all the colonies. He inherited a very successful mercantile business from his uncle, uh, making him just exceptionally wealthy. Uh, one of his best friends growing up as a kid was John Adams. Uh, now John Adams, uh, the future president, uh, he was a second cousin to Sam Adams. Now, John Hancock was an amazing man whose life was weaved into some of the most important positions and events in the formation of our country and, and even beyond. Um, I think most of, this, most of the time this weaving was intentional, which is what I like the most about him. 
uh, he was very willing to be in the middle of it and to make actual change. Uh, he also was the first president of the Second Continental Congress, and he was the first and third governor of Massachusetts. He was the first person to sign the Declaration of Independence, and as you all know, it was by far the largest signature of anybody on the document. And many people may not know this, but he was not only the first one to sign it, but he was the only one to sign it on July 4th, 1776. The others, all other uh, 55 signers, um, signed it in August or on future in future dates. So I, I was thinking about this and I thought, can, can you imagine being the first person to sign the Declaration of Independence? And then for that matter, looking at it hours later and still only having your signature be the only one on it? I think that's a moment in history that must have been really exceptionally special and a moment that could never ever uh, be repeated. Uh, I just think that must have been a really special moment for him personally. Being the first to sign the declaration, uh, his signature was hands down the largest. Uh, some speculate that he wrote it big enough so that King George III and, uh, and others could see it without having to put on their glasses. I don't know. Um, I, I think that since he was the first one, there wasn't any other signatures to compare the size to. Uh, you know, it's like when you get a, a birthday card at, at your work or something and it gets passed around from employee to employee and you don't know how many people are going to sign it. And, you know, but if you're the first one, you have the whole entire well, in his case, the whole entire declaration on parchment paper. But you have all the room and it's a blank slate, so you just sign it as normal. So for, now, for what that's worth, Hancock did say, quote, The British ministry can read that name without spectacles. Let them double their reward. So I'll let you be the judge on why his signature was the largest of all the signers. Uh, and maybe it's a combination of both. Uh, on a side note, Mr. Gwinnett, his first name was Button, so <laughs> Button Gwinnett was actually the smallest signature on the document. He was uh, Gwinnett was part of the Georgia legislature, and on a on a second side note to him, he was involved in a duel and died three days after signing the Declaration of Independence. That is not such a special time uh, for him in in history uh, compared to. John Hancock. But anyway, I just thought the, the largest signature and the smallest and, and kind of what happened there, I thought that was a little interesting. Now, John Hancock was not only wealthy, um, but he was very smart. He graduated from Harvard at the age of 17. And a lot of founding fathers and uh, important people in our uh, history did seem to uh, attend college early and graduate. And I think Unlike colleges today, um, people back then, they learned Latin and philosophy and they studied things that were actually useful and that was going to be beneficial in life. And many of them graduated at a young age, making it plausible that it was just far easier back then. Uh, but in my opinion, I think it was much more difficult and quite the opposite of that. So. It wasn't just because it was 1700s and colleges were easy back then. 
If you look at what they studied and the uh, and the depth at some of, of the topics that they studied, you had to be a pretty smart cookie, and, and a lot of them graduated at 16, 17 years old, which is pretty darn impressive. Uh, John Hancock, let's see, he, he also held the title of the Boston Town Committee Chairman, and that committee was formed immediately after the Boston Massacre, and that committee did every single thing possible they could to get British soldiers out of Boston right after that event. He, he being John Hancock, I, I think was very confident that he was going to be the one nominated and elected as the general of the Continental Army. He was prepping for hearing this uh, and, and was almost ready to give a, a thank you speech, but that didn't happen. Uh, John Adams actually nominated, as you know, George Washington instead. And had the nomination gone to John Hancock, I wonder what the war would have looked like or what what would the future of becoming a country evolved into? Now, John Adams was brilliant and one of his best decisions ever in his whole life. And yes, I'm very biased because uh, I uh, George Washington is my, my guy. He's my favorite favorite person to study. But I think that's one of his best decisions that John Adams did is nominating George Washington. Some historians say that because Washington was selected instead of Hancock, that that Hancock was kind of ticked off and uh, upset about that. And due to him not being nominated, that he did not have a good relationship with George Washington. And, and some, even, some even say that he had a dislike for George Washington. Now, that makes logical sense, but I think it's completely wrong, in my opinion. John Hancock named his son John George Washington Hancock. I don't think that's something you would do unless you revered and wanted to honor someone. Um, so I, I, I think he might have been disappointed, but he was certainly uh, didn't harbor any ill feelings toward George Washington. Um, sadly, John Hancock's son uh, died at the age of eight in an ice skating accident in Massachusetts. Now, many signers didn't ever fight in the war. John Hancock did. Uh, after resigning as head of the Continental Congress in 1777, he did have his opportunity for military glory in 1778 when he led 5,000 Massachusetts soldiers in, a, in a, an attempt to recapture Newport, Rhode Island from the British. Although that specific mission was considered a military failure, Hancock remained a very popular figure, and I say that anybody... Um, that was on the battlefield at any given point uh, in the revolution and any other war for that matter, uh, was very brave to the core. Uh, Hancock died at the age of 56, so he died young. Uh, he was actually serving his ninth term as governor. Uh, he did suffer from gout, which seems to be like a common disease back then. Benjamin Franklin had it really bad, uh, very severe. But it made me wonder why or how or what the cause of John Hancock passing away was. I could not find an exact cause of death uh, or a disease that took him at such a young age. But maybe, maybe one of you guys know. Uh, if you know uh, what caused John Hancock, John Hancock to pass away, I'd love for you to reach out to me and share that information. 
So the original members of the Sons of Liberty were Henry Bass, Joseph Field, John Smith, Thomas Chase, John Avery, Stephen Cleverly, Benjamin Eads, George Trott, and Thomas Crafts. These were the loyal nine that turned into or merged with the Sons of Liberty. Other, uh, other people that followed and joined the Sons of Liberty were Patrick Henry, who of course famously said, give me liberty or give me death in a speech, Paul Revere, and Benedict Arnold. James Otis, Dr. Benjamin Rush, Hercules Mulligan, William Williams, and countless others joined as the group continued to grow and expand. Uh, Hercules Mulligan, we'll probably do a bonus episode or a bio on him. Um, I'm sure you've heard him in the play uh, Hamilton, uh, but he had a very remarkable uh, life. He was a tailor. Uh, he was a spy. But anyway, maybe I'll do a show on him too. Um, so those were the main core of, and the originals. And as, as with most organizations or groups, uh, they had their own flag to symbolize their beliefs. And their flag had five red stripes and four white stripes, uh, but they were all vertical. I don't know who designed or who came up with that, uh, but when Britain saw that flag or others in the colonies saw that flag, they knew who they were dealing with. And regardless of what England did or they tried to do to curtail the Sons of Liberty, they just continued to grow stronger and stronger and even more resolved, which spread into the other colonies. And it didn't take very long for the Sons of Liberty to become a very prevalent, known, and effective organization for the cause of freedom. Do you think it's time to have a group like that today? Uh, we could call it the Sons of Liberty Reboot or something else. Uh, I personally would support an organization like that. Would you? The Sons of Liberty made the Liberty Tree very popular also. Uh, they would meet, plan, and protest under it. Uh, I did cover the original Liberty Tree and all of its history in the last episode. So a lot of really good stuff was in the last episode. So if you haven't listened to it, please do. It's pretty, it's pretty darn interesting. Uh, although the Sons of Liberty members had the same beliefs and, and common goals, many of them did have opposing views when it came to using violence. John Hancock was one that wasn't really fond of and tried to keep the violence to a minimum. He even communicated uh, with British officials in order to avoid, in some instances, uh, violence. Now, I will say when violence was used, it was done so as a last resort, and it was very detailed and planned out. They didn't just run up and down a street and saying, I'm angry, and light something on fire. Um, they, they did it with a purpose, and it was very well thought out. An example of how they operated when using violence was, well, the Boston Tea Party. Uh, of course, they discarded all the tea overboard, but no, nothing else on the ships were damaged at all except there was one padlock that they broke so they could get access to the tea. Now, that padlock was promptly replaced the next day by the Patriots. 
And I think that alone speaks volumes of how determined they were to make a clear point and not just out to cause havoc. I mean, you just dumped the king's tea overboard, one of the biggest acts against England, and then the next day, it's in somebody's mind to say, you know what, it's spreading quickly, it's going to be a big event, but I think we should maybe go replace that damaged padlock. So I just thought that was really interesting. The Sons of Liberty defiance of the British not only helped spur the Revolutionary War, but it also fostered an American tradition of grassroots activism that various activist groups have applied over the centuries to push for change. The Sons of Liberty, they did disband in 1776 after independence was achieved and they, I guess, weren't needed anymore. Um, but they really did a tremendous amount of important work for our independence. And and I just think that we hear Sons of Liberty and we think it was a group and and, and that's it. And that's why I wanted to do a bonus episode. They There was so much more that they did. And, and they did it with purpose. And they did it with vigor. And they did it with planning. And they didn't want to just damage things and light things on fire. Uh, they did do those things as a last resort. But they made their point known. And they caused change. Um, it wasn't haphazard. Uh, like many of the protests or cities burning uh, that you see t today um, there's really no point to those in many cases and but the sons of liberty operated on a different level a much better level uh, than than what's happening today when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply so here's a, a few short tidbits about the Sons of Liberty. In 1772, members of the Sons of Liberty, they set fire to the British ship, the HMS Gatsby. They had their own flag, as I told you, but they also had a motto, which was no taxation without representation. And in protest to the Stamp Act, a mob formed by the Sons of Liberty got out of control and destroyed much of the home of Lieutenant Governor Thomas Hutchinson. And guess what? That was also covered in great detail uh, on our last episode. A constant battle was waged in New York City over Liberty Poles. I don't know if you've ever heard about Liberty Poles, uh, but the Sons of Liberty would put them up and British soldiers would tear them down. And as a result, the Liberty Pole became a symbol of the colonists' freedom. Put a pole up, British take it down. Um, it was kind of a, a game for them, but a very serious um, game it became. The British sometimes referred to them as the sons of violence in hopes of giving them a bad name and giving them a bad reputation. Even back then, the press was used primarily for political purposes, and just like today, uh, were prevalent in the press as a method of garnering like or dislike about a person, group, or event. Um, now, if this statement was typed on Facebook, I'm sure it'd probably be blocked or censored, right? Um, back then, uh, they would use newspapers um, to persuade others to get on their side, 
and unlike today uh, they didn't really print retractions so in fact many if if they couldn't get their position across to the masses they would just start their own newspaper like Alexander Hamilton did um, like Aaron Burr did uh, so it was really used uh, primarily not just to get basic information out to the colonists. It was to persuade others in a political, for a political purpose. Uh, at least four members of the Sons of Liberty participated in the Boston Tea Party. Um, and they dressed up as Indians and got on the ship and dumped the tea. So at least four of those uh, members, original members, um, participated in that uh, event. So there is amazing things that they accomplished as a group. Um, they did use violence and threats if needed. And I hope that this short bonus episode uh, maybe provided some more information about them. And next time you see Sons of Liberty on a t-shirt or a hat, that you'll be able to know some of the people that were involved and what they did and didn't do to help shape our country. Thanks for listening and hope that you tune in next time with us here at the Patriot Power Podcast. Make sure that you hit subscribe so you'll get notified when our new episodes are available for you. And we hope that you check out our websites, which include our show notes, links, documents, and more at patriotpowerpodcast.com or ilovegeorgewashington.com. Until next time, hope that you and your family have a blessed week. And remember, be safe and tell a veteran thanks for their service.